make it a double. You shouldn't coke or something. You look like a dope fiend to me. No offense. I don't use drugs. Normally I don't even drink. How about abnormally? <laughs> See, Reynolds is back at work. Guess he may bail. I'll tell you one thing. Whatever he did, he sure ain't copping to it. Would you? Never trust a con, cowboy. They ain't get too loud being honest. Where are they hiding you these days? Around. Episode 142 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. Make sure to head over to the Facebooks and like us, uh, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to Amazon and pick up my novel, Nova Byzantium, out now. Courtesy Only 99 of cents. Books. No, that's two ninety nine. Chronophage oh. is 99 cents. However... If you like us on Facebook and you scroll down a little bit, uh, that book is actually a free download if you're so inclined. So what? Uh, hear that, lucky listeners! You're yeah, giving you're giving true. away literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of your own work. Uh, yeah, I am, and uh, I tried uh, I tried to gank my own work on uh, the Pirate Bay and was completely unsuccessful. <laughs> I'm 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 too technically inept to steal my own shit. So uh, I had this noble idea of putting a Bitcoin address. Actually, the novel uh, has my Bitcoin address like all throughout it, mm. like on every chapter, annoyingly. Uh, and I, I tried to get the wallet up and going, but I, I fucked that up too. So I'm just like, I have the motivation to be sort of a, a cyberpunk hack, but I, I'm too inept. So sadly, folks, uh, you get it for free and... And then I you give, just give Matt one Bitcoin, one lousy Bitcoin. Yeah. How much? Yeah, are one Bitcoins? lousy Bitcoin at about three hundred and fifty bucks a whack. <laughs> Please do that. Anyway, so oh, uh, show news, Mister Hudson. You got any show news this week? Oh, this week? No, boy, that cold snap. Boy, I really did a number on me. I was, I was surprised. Were you riding your motorcycle? No, I had. I waited till Thursday when thought out to ride my motorcycle. And actually, I was on. God forbid, public transit. Oh, man. Oh. The uh, cold flu uh, <laughs> vector itself. I didn't catch anything. Uh, but actually, it worked out okay. You know, it's just it's just a huge time sink is the, is the main problem. We've talked about public transit in the past. Oh, yeah. No, it's horrible. Yeah. It, it, it's, I'm, I'm so glad I drive my uh, single occupancy vehicle <laughs> to work. And uh, avo- I, I drive by the bus stops, and I see everybody like shivering on their phones uh-huh. and they just look fucking miserable and i know they're miserable and uh they probably work downtown somewhere where there's absolutely no parking so uh, yeah they, they i just park. try to make a commitment not to take my car down to seattle so um yeah it's the a good bus plan. it is it's the only option oh man well any good stories any good bus stories uh no no just get on early and and case out a good seat and and 
tune out all the other wretches. It actually hasn't been that bad. It hasn't been as packed as I would have thought. I think. Uh, uh, I think in the middle you of the dub win- one out. I think. Hmm. And then you dub out of. Uh, out of class. Yeah, I was expecting. I was expecting more kids, but uh, I'm not sure why they're not on the bus. Maybe they're all just driving their three series Beamers down there now. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that sounds about right these days. That's what the kids are driving. Yeah, on their hundred and fifty thousand dollars student loan. Well, if you're taking out a hundred fifty thousand student loan, what's another fifty thousand? No shit, no shit, man. Might as well live it up. I would have. Yeah, uh, I, I I checked out the new Star Wars trailer. I was. Uh, well, how could you uh, not check out the new Star Wars tra- trailer? I, I don't know. Well, I, I put I put a, a, a goof. Somebody uh, put together like a highly detailed uh, Lucas Lucasization. Is that the right word for uh, the a remastered uh, trailer? Yeah, yeah, a redone. You know, like uh, the the fir- a la the first uh, three movies that he uh, CGI'd. I sure hope Jar Jar was in there somewhere. Uh, no, sadly, but there was a lot of good uh, uh, Lucasisms, if you will, in the uh, in, in 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 the spoof. But God, I, have they still not put out a Blu-ray of the original cut? Of the uh, original oh, is trilogy, that the, is that the, is that a point of contention? I haven't a clue. I don't think they have. I think the only thing thing you can get in HD is the uh, is the glitzed up version. All I could think of watching the minute long trailer that all the fanboys were creaming over was, "Wow, I have to wait a whole year to be let down." I, I don't know if I can take mm. it. It might it might be pretty good. I mean, Star Wars is always popular entertainment uh even back well, in the day and i think that i think i think they got the right guy there to make a fun entertaining movie let's just put it this way it will be better than the first three movies folks so I, I, that's that's at least something you can uh, uh rest assured you mean, I mean episodes one two and three you mean oh yeah it'll be better than that like almost de facto I mean, how could it not be better than that? I think right? I think it'll be good as I think it'll be as entertaining as the as the original series. And it sounds like they're sort of downplaying the old characters; they're just going to be cameoing and get it up. I think. Oh, okay. They'll Which be is like, nice. Um, it'll be new people. So I think the people they they presented in the trailer are important characters, like the the guy lost in the stormtrooper outfit, the black guy. I think yeah. he's an important character, and the woman on the uh, the mini zamboni. Yeah, the mini Sam. That's exactly what that fucking is thing. Like. Also, a major like a flying character. brick. Literally. So I think those are going to be the two characters. You mean, uh, just might as well just burn those faces into your brain right now because they're going to be in one year burned in there. You know what I was thinking about? You know, everybody, everybody's uh, sitting there uh, uh, talking about the new lightsaber with its little, its little like two mini orthogonal oh, little hand guard, little lightsaber. Handguard. And then I was thinking, why the fuck? Okay, wouldn't a light, wouldn't a lightsaber, a more badass lightsaber, be one that was immaterial, that just had sort of the plasma cutting uh, feel to it, but that would just pass through? Uh, like you, if you, if you, if you were sword fighting without actually, and the blades pass through each other, yeah, when you. Were, wouldn't that make for a more interesting fight? And wouldn't it more or less be like a knife fight? Wouldn't that be cooler than having them actually like physically stop each other? I was thinking. Well, maybe maybe they'd have to bring back like a parrying shields to fight, like some sort of I don't know. energized shield that could deflect the 
Deflect it would the just sword. Did, yeah, it would just like uh, like a uh, like a mirror shield that would. That'd just be pretty cool. You'd have, have them have them do the lightsaber in one hand and a little like super shiny shield in the other thing to parry with. I think it was an opportunity missed. I think if well, the lightsabers I mean, pass through, then that like pass through each other, then it would be make for a way more fucking interesting uh, fight. That you would know what I mean? that would be pretty interesting. But then you, I mean. But that's not really what Lucas was going for. Oh, I know what he was going for. I'm just saying. He was, I think it would be it would be badass if they passed through each other. That's all. Well, that sounds yeah. like the realm of fanfic to me. Oh, let me get my. Let me. I mean, it's gonna be a late night. I'm gonna get a pot of coffee and start cranking that shit out. And uh, where would I post my fan fiction these days? I don't even know. I'm I'm sure there's some place you can. I have no idea where yeah. it is. All right, let's get into the movie this week. Uh, our film this week is the 2004 uh, film uh, The Machinist, uh, starring Christian Bale. Quick plot rundown. Christian Bale plays Trevor Resnick, a factory lathe operator who has developed a serious case of insomnia. Lack of sleep has already started to wear down on his brain and his body. When he's involved in an accident at work, his coworkers turn against him. He starts to find strange notes in his apartment and see people that apparently aren't there. Uh, there you have it. Uh, actors, uh, along with Christian Bale, our favorite, um, Mr. Ironsides. Oh, it's again. always so nice to see uh, Michael Ironsides, and I thought he missing had an arm injury. again. We always like to see him missing an arm in the films. So it's always, uh, <laughs> I think in real life he's going to get that left arm cut off. I know. Yeah, it'll be like uh, in Hot Tub Time Machine with Crispin Glover. They'll be like, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> now, there'd um, be a movie to do sometime. Is that set around Christmas? Oh, no, I don't think so. I, think I don't think it is. I think, it's like, I think it's like February or January. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he uh, loses an arm in, in the lathe. Or, was that what it was? Like some kind of machine. Oh, they called uh, it a lathe. It was weird. It had the... Maybe it was some sort of uh, vertical lathe. I wasn't familiar with the piece of machinery. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see him and uh, see him missing another appendage in the film. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, too. I, I didn't expect to see her in this film. I didn't look at the cast list before I came into it. She makes a believable yet attractive horror. I, I don't know. Something about Jennifer Jason Lee. She's a little bit naughty. She seems like such works. a good girl, yet I always see her with her tits out in movies. I know. I know. See, there's something about her. I, mm-hmm. I, I liked her in this film. I thought she uh, she played that role pretty well. Yeah, I guess I was a little upset with uh, how her storyline ended. I thought it was tough to watch. Yeah, just sort of the uh, kind of the... It wasn't really a fantasy, but just... Uh, uh, it was just—it was just sort of sad. I, I mean, broken I, it, people on the mend. I guess would be well. The, there was the, nobody on the mend. It was just broken people. It was just—it was just sad to see. I thought, you know, I, you know, at that point in the movie, I didn't really know what was going on with Resnick. And yeah. I know we're getting sort of getting into something, but I, I can leave it for later. But uh, it was, that was part of the part of the film that I think hit me the hardest was uh, oh, how things ended up for her. All right, let's uh, let's let's back up a little bit. So, uh, Mr. Hudson, first viewing of the of the Machinist. Uh, I enjoyed it, though. I think the script <clears throat> is a little too tidy. I think that hurts it. Um, when you say too tidy, well, it just it, I I guess I didn't really like the way it resolved. I liked everything up basically to the resolution. 
It just seemed too it just wrapped up so nicely at the end for a movie. I mean, it's I guess it's a minor quibble for a movie that was went to such depths of madness to have such a I guess the genesis was so simple. It seemed overly simple for you the mean mayhem the, that uh, ensued. The whole plot. Yeah, and I don't know if we want to give it away this early in the. Uh, uh, let's. I mean, the movie forecasts it a bit, uh, and probably the best scene is where you know it really puts the idea in your mind how the movie's gonna how the how what the, what the real the story of Resnick is is the the carnival ride scene. It was just an that amazing carnival scene. ride, man. That Have is a ever great been scene. In those, those old school carnival rides, like uh, there used to be one around the Seattle Center called the Trip to Mars. And, um. um I have really no interest in going into a windowless building on a cart. Yeah, I've been on them, and they're freaky. Even I, I mean, I haven't been on them since I was a kid. But uh, did you ever do uh, haunted houses? Like, did you ever do the Halloween haunted house thing? Or uh, like a radio station or something would sponsor a haunted house, and they would take a, like a YMCA or something, and then they would convert half of it over into a... You know, a haunted house kind of thing. Did you ever do that? Um, I did. I did it once. Um, I, I, I think I was a, maybe about twelve or thirteen, and it was fine. Though, you know, I always worry about situations like that. Like you're gonna punch somebody, or that, somebody's gonna I, if I get really scared, um, that I might. I just, I, I just could imagine myself losing control if something really freaked me out. Really, and then what you am I going to do? I'm going to go bashing through a wall or punch one of the poor college kids that's, you know, well, got, got like uh, slime on their hands and they're touching the back of your head or whatever they do in those things. Dude, just don't go to it high. Just back off on the weed before. You <laughs> I go. guess it's the same thing about why I wouldn't do psychedelics and oh, why fuck. I'm not really that interested in marijuana. There's- that I, I just don't like the idea of losing control. There's fuckers who like concoct the most awful situations to drop acid or smoke weed. Like, you know, like, hey, let's drop acid and go to a haunted house. Oh my god, that would be amazing. And they all fucking do it. And they end up not killing anybody. They just go through and uh come out the other end, just, just spun around. But well, I think those uh, are people that have a real solid grasp on reality. Myself, I have a very tenuous grasp on it. I'm with you, man. And I, I'm I not really I, interested in doing anything to upset the little uh, piece I've made with the mayhem of the real world. So you're not a card-carrying member of the psychedelic army of Joe Rogan, is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, look, I, I like Joe Rogan. I listen to his podcast every once in a while when he doesn't have some sort of weird... Uh, like, like UFC fighter? Well, I, those aren't too bad. It's more like he likes to interview entrepreneurs. Oh. That are out, I don't like those. I, I don't. I don't, I don't really like uh, the entrepreneur <laughs> mindset because they're so positive. I know. Yeah. And go get them, sort of people. That makes me feel even more inadequate than I already am. So I usually don't listen to those. And plus, he has a block of like six minutes of ads at the beginning yeah. of his podcast. I, know. I remember. I keep hitting like I got like a little on my app of choice. I got like a little 
45 seconds forward button. And I'll yeah. hit that a couple times and he's still fucking talking about Dollar Shave Club and I'll hit it again. He's talking about some sort of app, some sort he's, of supplement. He's, he's fucking, he's I'll, fucking I'll hit, like, like, uh, hit it like three times. Next, next thing I know, he's talking about getting some snacks in the mail. I'm like, I'm hitting it again yeah. and again. It finally <laughs> and is into the podcast. Ting phones, all that shit. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. No. He's talking about cell phone uh, plans. Well, we <laughs> digress. Okay, uh, haunted houses, but... Uh, I go into them, and um, you know it's like jump scares. That's kind of what you're what you're getting out of it, you know. But uh, the haunted house, the six, the highway six six six, obviously uh, designed for the the film, but effectively I think captures sort of the cheesiness of those sort of cart haunted house rides. But then there's some like obviously unreal instances that are uh fun like they go by the uh whorehouse mm-hmm. and there's like some silhouette getting a bj yeah. yeah yeah i mean i mean obviously when you come to that point in the film and i don't know about you and maybe you can't bring yourself back to the first time I, I didn't know what the resolution was you didn't know what was going on i didn't know what the cause of of resnick's Mental instability and weight loss is. Were. beyond that his his lack of touch with reality his paranoia I thought maybe my thinking at that time was maybe uh was some sort of uh i mean he was just mentally ill uh like he had schizophrenia late onset unusual um right and uh but in that scene you really understand that it's a dream i mean you really come to realize that maybe the scene isn't reality and yeah. we're, actually, we're actually seeing it through Resnick's eyes. I mean, we're seeing the, we're seeing the movie through his eyes. We're not really seeing a dispassionate look at what's going on in the world, uh, that everything we see is colored by his thoughts. And then it foreshadows some elements in that. And that's where it gave me the idea for, you know, what the source of his problem was. And I didn't think that was really going to be the case because it did seem a little tidy, but it ended up working out that way. And they, they forecasted it. They foreshadowed it again a couple of points later to the point where you pretty much know what's going on. Probably yeah, most people so, about 10 or 15 minutes before the end of the film. So you were a, a virgin watcher of this, this, this week. Is that true that you hadn't seen it before? No, I hadn't seen it before. And I, I really liked that it didn't explain it to you. Uh, it was a bit of a mystery. Uh, I guess one thing I, I, I guess I didn't really think of, but we were listening to the soundtrack and on a couple points in there. And I watched it with Jean. She had seen it before. And oh. I, thought, I thought this is the soundtrack seems really strange. It's and a theremin. She, lots of theremin going on. She said. So. She said it's a, it's a Hitchcock soundtrack, and and I yeah, sort of that's I, true. I, and I went, oh yeah, this is totally a Hitchcock soundtrack. Well, it's a Hitchcock movie. Yeah, I mean, and I hadn't really kinda... I hadn't really pieced that together at that point, but that sort of clicked with me. That's supposed to be mysterious and disturbing, as yeah, Hitchcock it, is it, in his best. It's a it's definitely a cast in the die of Hitchcock by its screenwriter and the director. That was what they were going for. Well, I think so, they they certainly they certainly got there. Yeah. Well, and and the theremin, theremin's great. It's the theremin is a. Um, I'm trying to imagine it. It's basically an antenna that has is coupled to some sort of RF resonator that transfers 
like near field resonances into like sound. And so people can play a theremin by holding like their hand up next to the antenna uh, and sort of like shaping or interacting with the field around the antenna. And I don't, you know, it's sad because I'm an antenna engineer, but I don't know how theremin exactly works. Uh, but it, it was a 60s, sort of 50s, 60s uh, sound maker that got he- heavy use in, in a lot of the sci-fi films of the day because it just has sort of a, a, a you know, just kind of a, a otherworldly sound to it. And so it's all throughout here, and it, it just accents the the soundtrack kind of beautifully and it it lets you know that you're watching something that's a little surreal and not necessarily grounded in our world i think it worked great yeah i guess i didn't i didn't quite get that feeling until that scene on the uh on the ride and gene's mentioning of hitchcock oh yeah yeah no it's 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 definitely an odd so uh anyway um i don't know where we need to go with the film here uh i guess uh sort of the what would be what would be the main theme of this uh, um what would be the main theme i guess it would be self torture well and self torture i mean it's interesting uh i don't know spoilers is that masochism self masochism what is that called uh, it's yeah, like self, yeah, masochism. I, think. I mean, Resnick has just tortured himself to the point of madness, right? And he's obviously living in a parallel world and creating, uh, uh, you know, people out of nothing. And uh, I has... love those. <laughs> I love those notes with the hangman and how he he writes different things in there, like mother and then Miller, Miller. and then finally right. was it killer? Killer. Yeah. yeah, so a uh, spoiler. I'm just gonna give it away. Are we gonna give? Are we gonna give the the well, source on, of man. Resnick's? Yeah, I mean, you might as well. We do it on every podcast. So, and if you're listening to this, we, we you know we spoil the shit. So, so he had a bitch. He had a bitchin' car. He had a, he had a bitchin' Camaro. Actually, uh-huh. I don't think it was a Camaro. I don't think it was a Camaro. I don't know what it was, but it's it sort was. of like a Camaro. Yeah, and, and he ran over uh, a kid. He ran over a kid, and, and then he ran. That's it. That's like, and then he hit run. He, he drove didn't hit away. And, run, and then he lived with it for a year. Yeah, and and, and and this is what happened to him living with the guilt of it for a year. For a year. And I just he, I think is I was just the thing is at the end I I just didn't buy it. And that's what really hurt me. And I I just don't think that if you did that, you would turn in a person would turn into Resnick. Well, okay. So, uh I mean the thing is is what what is the nature of, I guess his his psychosis, because okay, so you it's do a guilt. hit and run. No, I know you do a hit and run, mm-hmm. and well, okay, yeah. Word to the kitties here. You always, always stop after a hit and run, unless you've been drinking, then you run. <laughs> oh, because if because okay. if you get caught drunk, they can get you for murder. Oh, but if you get okay. if but if you kill somebody. Through negligence, the worst you can get is negligent homicide. Correct. I so see. you run if you're drunk. Run if you're drunk. All right. And good stop in, under every other situation. Stop. Okay. So if you're not drunk and you hit somebody, always fucking stop. Because right. like Mark said, 
Um, I think, I don't know what it is, uh, the difference. Let's say you're sober. Pull alcohol out of the mix. Mm-hmm. If I mean, if, just as you get distracted. You know, you get a call from your wife. You know, maybe uh, you drop something on the ground. Or if you're like, like Resnick, Trevor's maybe you're lighting a cigarette. Lighter. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, look, if you, we've, all, we've all been in accidents. It doesn't take much. It just takes the right circumstances and a second and a half of inattention, and then you're, you're in an accident. Right? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've been rear-ended. I remember I, I, I was rear-ended by some chick here in, in Ballard and near an intersection. And uh, I pulled off, you know, on the side street, and she just totally fucking blew through it. Like just, I, I couldn't, I tried chasing her, I couldn't do it. And she just like, she didn't even do anything to my bumper, like nothing. Uh, yet she took off. And if she would have pulled over and I would have got out and go, nah, fuck, don't worry about it. You know, uh, I didn't, you know, wouldn't even matter if she had insurance or not, but she blew through. If I got her license plate, she's fucked. You yeah, know, for, for a hit and leaving the scene and accident hit and run. Yeah. yeah I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you're the, fucked. I, don't, if I mean, you have it, no record. I'm not well, sure. It's, exactly a, it's still point. a crime. I mean, it is a crime. It might be. Right? A, it might be a felony. A felony compared to me shrugging my shoulders and go fucking don't worry about it. You know. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, was, I mean, you got you got you, you got to make a decision in in the moment, and you don't know what all the calculus oh. she was doing. Maybe she had a warrant out under her name. And if the cops got called, she maybe she didn't have any insurance. Maybe she didn't have any money. Maybe she didn't have a job. And she saw me. that it was super minor, and she did the calculus. So I could probably just drive away from this, and it'd be fine. And she did it. I could sketch and, and out. And she was and she was right, wasn't she? I could, uh, I guess, but I could totally sketch out that bitch's life from that incident. Like you know, is she? Is she? I could. Does she weigh could, like eighty pounds right now? And I know. <laughs> What what I what I do is I keep like uh, um, I got, what you got to do is keep like a, a cabbage patch doll in there, and if somebody rear ends you, throw the cabbage patch doll out the window. That'll really give them a heart attack. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's yeah. if they run, and then they're going to be tortured the rest of your life, and that's the big joke. Yeah, this broad's probably like has post-it notes on her fridge that like spells out asshole eventually or something, you know. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah, okay. Unless you're drunk, always stop at the scene of an accident. Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. Trevor not drunk. Just No. Just just, just, out. A, just a standard accident based on momentary negligence. Uh you probably wouldn't get any jail time for that even if it killed somebody. Unless it became well, a big media shitstorm. Yeah. No, I mean it like there's instances all the time where you probably get like will, you probably get a couple of years of probation, an ass load of community service and probably a shitloads of fines and legal fees. There was a guy who uh I'm loosely remembering it, but he uh um some kid on a skateboard came out off of a side street and the guy blew into him and I think he killed the kid and they uh they caught him like a few blocks later and uh, wasn't drunk but uh they said that if he would have stopped he wouldn't have even been charged with anything but then since he left now it's what do you what do you i don't know some some negligent homicide i don't know whatever whatever leaving the scene of a 
Anyway, so this guy uh, is facing all kinds of shitty charges and uh, is totally a, a Trevor, but a Trevor that got caught and he should have just stuck around and he would have been fine. So, um, yeah, he should have stopped. But I'm just wondering if he did run. <sighs> Boy, I, he, I guess he just really had a lot of guilt about it. So is that what what, what you didn't buy was that somebody I mean, would I just, torture I, themselves I, to this level? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can buy it to a certain extent. I guess, I guess maybe there's something more wrong with him. Well, because okay, for starters, the kid would have been dead regardless of of his of the justice that would he was served, right? I mean, it, it's, uh, um, I mean, the justice that he doled out to himself is obviously more cruel and harsh and maddening than, than he probably would have got if he just sucked it up and stopped and let and let the uh the and maybe he wouldn't have killed the kid justice. he wasn't even going that fast uh well i know the kid was dead I mean, he must have been dead how, how does he know he kept driving that's the terrible no, thing about yeah, run. That's true. you don't get 10 minutes to suss out exactly what's going on before you take off you right. gotta take off right away so i mean there could be something with like not knowing if he killed the kid see that would be something that could torture you like if he never followed up and he never figured out if that child had died and you know there was some kind of mystery there, uh, then that would be torturous. Uh, but either way, the outcome is the same, and he fucked up, and the kid's dead. And so, uh, and maybe that's the theme that uh, we like to torture ourselves more than uh, society tortures us for crime. I don't know. Is it, hmm. That doesn't sound right, right? I mean. Um, because that seems like the opposite most times. <laughs> seems like he's society. definitely he's definitely torturing himself. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I I thought it was really interesting. I just um, uh, to make a bad pun, it's just so pedestrian. Yeah, <laughs> the you know that you're you're tortured by like an accident that is only is your fault only in the sense that. I mean, it's different if like he was pulling a bank job and some kid got shot, right? Yeah, he was he was engaging in some. Uh, the, he was in danger. He was doing a, a dangerous activity. Everybody does every day. Distractions happens. You, you fuck up. It's just a fuck up situation, right? Yeah, the, and and it could, could literally happen to anybody. He didn't plan it. It wasn't the result of some sort of scheming. It was just a fucking accident. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, in Seattle this time of year, it's always fucking dark. And uh, we have militant pedestrians that I've seen step off curves, fucking knowing well that physics won't really stop the car in time uh, that's coming at them. And so, like, you know, I've been in this situation where I've just been riding along and I go, you know, I keep my eyes out for pedestrians. Like, this person is going to leap out on the sidewalk, are they? They're not going to leap out. Leaping out on the side. Okay. And then I come to like a four, you know, four wheel skid. And they just stand there and they just give me this like piss ass look. And I'm like, yes, you're in the right. But, you know, can we all just acknowledge momentum a little bit? Uh, and it's dark usually and wet. And people around here like to wear what I call Seattle camouflage, which is like black coats and black umbrellas with their you know, the umbrella pulled all the way down over their face. So they're just shadows at night. And, uh, I've, when I was going up on Capitol Hill a lot at night, I swear to God, I'd take left turns and almost nail people. I mean, it was just fucking chronic. So, 
We got to get pedestrians wearing high vis vests. There's a guy every day I go to work in the morning when I drive down this long straight road to get onto the freeway. And there's a retired guy. He's probably not that old. He's maybe 72. And he's, he, he takes a long morning walk down that, 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 that uh, road, uh, the opposite direction I go. And he's got his high vis vest on every morning. Good for him, on. man. Yeah. There was some uh, fucker on a bike. Don't get me started on bikes. I, I don't want to go into it on this podcast. But uh, anyway, I, I was dark, shitty Seattle morning. <coughs> I was uh, driving uh, driving down 8th, and, and uh, there was a guy on a bike, and, like, I, I fucking couldn't see him. I mean, I almost – the only way I saw him was that he was, like, passing in front – of a light further down the street. I mean, he was just a fucking ghost. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, no lights, nothing. And so I get to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the stoplight and he, he rides up next to me and I, and I rolled down my window. I was like, Hey buddy, why don't you get a fucking light? I almost hit you back there. And he just looked at me and he goes, not required. <laughs> like he was reading some rule book to uh-huh. me. He was and technically like, right. And when that, as no, we no, know from yeah, Futurama, I looked that's it up. the best kind of right. Yeah, that's right. He's technically right, but um, I was like, "Yeah, okay, uh, that's not going to do you any good when when uh, a garbage truck punts you into the next street." You know, you can sit there all twisted and mangled in the ditch, going, "Not required." You know, when somebody goes, "What the fuck were you doing without a light?" Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I to, to take things in a different direction. I think, please, I think I should compliment an aspect of this. Uh, now I like this movie though. I was complaining about how it sort of wraps itself up. And I found that maybe not as quite as delicious as I'd hoped it would be is a part of this script. That's absolute genius. And that's the character of Ivan. And that's, that's why I started this podcast Ivan is fucking with awesome. the Ivan Resnick interaction. And I think that's really the, the best, but that's the genius in this, uh, in this, in this screenplay. And, this the way that the guy they got brought in to play Ivan, it's just awesome. And the, the reveal that Ivan's a projection of Resnick's own person before the accident, how he thinks of himself before this soul destroying event in his life. I I just I th- I think that's he just has such a disdain for himself that he mel- makes yep. himself this large brutish imbecile. And, well, um, and I, I just I, I think that's I think that's amazing, and I just love the the menacing nature of Ivan. I love how uh, how Resnick finally resolves the Ivan situation. It's just so brutal, and uh, um, I just I just uh, I just really enjoyed that whole storyline, the chases and the cars. I it was just part of the, part of the mystery of this this uh, movie that was very engaging to me. Well, uh, the way I was thinking of, I don't know who that actor is. I haven't seen him in anything else, so I don't remember him in anything else. But he has a great presence. And I I described him in my head as a demonic uh, Marlon Brando. <laughs> he does. You know, he does have a Marlon Brando-esque nature to him. I was thinking that when I saw him. I think I think in a way he resembles Marlon Brando. He's, he's not obviously as anywhere as handsome as Marlon Brando in his prime, but he's definitely like a demonic, has a demonic Marlon Brando appeal, mm-hmm. you know. And that southern accent that he, you know, doles out. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's... 
it stirs the pot of the film. And like mm-hmm. you said, like, you know, anytime there's somebody walking through uh, scenes in the film that nobody else knows or sees, it's 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 a fun, like, trick of, of filmmaking. I, I always love it. Like, <clears throat> that guy was never here. Who are you talking about again? You're like, oh, my God, what's going on here? You know, is it a conspiracy? Does, does he actually seeing somebody? All that good stuff. So, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that you pointed out that, yeah, he's the projection of Trevor prior to the accident. It's it's who he was prior. You and know. he doesn't even recognize himself. It's just, it's so, I mean, that is really, I think if anything in this film, that's the thing that really describes the place that Trevor's found himself in after this year of self-torture better than anything else. He doesn't recognize himself in the in the picture with him and uh, I forgot one of the, one of the other guys. Oh, the, guy, the other, yeah, the other one of the other machinists. Right. And um, and then he doesn't recognize his old car he drove just a year before that, and its license plate. He doesn't recognize that as himself. He's lost himself, and I well, just it, it just shows really how I just it just shows the the depth of his mental illness, which well, I which I it, really enjoyed. It's. Uh, He's an interesting character because he has a lot of strange nuance. Like he's a, a you know, a, like a, a rule follower in the shop when they're talking about like the union. Like he's a strong union guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, uh, he um, sees seems very. I don't know. I've met people like him at, at work, and what would be the right word? Uh, Maybe. He seems fastidious. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think that's, that's I think that's elements. And he actually is pretty funny at times. We're talking about Resnick here, and I think that's elements of his previous personality that uh, have gotten hidden. But they do come out occasionally, like with his interactions with uh, Stevie and Anne Marie, mostly, where he where he the, he lets the torture subside for a moment. And just tries to be a regular human being, right? Which I, th- right. I think is really neat. Yeah, yeah. But the Ivan injection is pretty genius. Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. a- that he's tortured by, but because he's torturing himself, and he's getting menaced by himself, his own projection of himself. It's just, it's really, it's really but nice it's, writing. But it's not his conscience, right? I mean, it's it's, it's not, not his conscience. Is or is it his? I mean, conscience? what else could it be? What else could torture him? I mean, if he, he kills somebody in an I guess accident, that's what, what tortures else, you, what, right? What else could torture conscience. you other than the conscience? The only other thing would be society. But and so it's he, not society. He, but he decides in the end to trade his own torture for society's torture, which they'll bring down on him. For whatever reason, like the load comes off, right? I mean, it's an, it's an interesting, uh, uh, I guess, point of introspection with regard to the nature of justice. That uh, if you don't have to deal with uh, your own conscience and and you let you defer to justice and justice doles out a lighter sentence, then it gives you some mechanism of your own self forgiveness to to a point, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what it's doing? Uh, but I guess in situations like war, where uh, the state and the institution gives one 
the uh, pass for uh, you know a crime. Yes, uh, <coughs> the self torture turns into like PTSD, and fuckers blow their heads off. Well, but you know? then there's only really one route to forgiveness. Uh, suicide? No, I mean, it's religion. You, oh. Well, yeah, but sometimes, I mean, I, I don't know. Those PTSD guys, man, they, they, it, w- nothing helps them. Well, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think we should think that Resnick is solved here after he spends three or four years in jail. I mean, is, he, is all of a sudden he's going to be fat and happy again when he gets out? No, but he's gotten a reprieve, you get that sense, because he just kind of falls asleep in his cell, right? Like, now I yeah, that's part asleep. of the tidiness that uh, didn't sit with you me. Don't like, you I don't, don't like, like that? No, I don't like that. I, I would have rather like, seen him die at the end, I think. Or it would have been better to see him like in a jail cell, but now 100 pounds, you know, or something. that <laughs> just fucking keeps on going. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. but I do. I, it is a wonderful portrayal of, of self-torture. I think it's about as effective as I've ever seen in a film. Man, I wish I could do just a little self-torture to get my weight down. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't need, like, I guess a hit-and-run guilt trip. But Just uh, don't eat, man. Well, that's what, Is that that's what Christian Bale did for the film. But watch out. Don't let your potassium get too low, man. I know. Well, that shit's bad you, for you. You can, like, you can have really, a heart attack if you, if you stop eating. <laughs> he really... Uh, he really putting his life in danger. Yeah, he really. Sh- they really should have had a doctor supervising his fasting. So that could that can have some. I mean, aside from the mental problems and the physical weakness, it can have some long term effects or some deadly effects. It's something you should so, do carefully, especially if it's a film. But it sounds like this film was sort of done a little bit on a shoestring. I mean, it had a proper budget, but wasn't exactly well budgeted. No, uh, back to the, I guess the, the heart attack, that's like how Karen Carpenter died, right? She like got too thin and her heart blew out. I I really don't know how she died. I, I think uh, maybe I'm just, maybe I should verify, but, uh, have a banana every once in a while. So what, what causes heart problems when you, when you do a crash diet and get super thin? I have no, I'm I'm not really sure. Maybe some sort of electrolyte. Uh, is it is it un- chemistry? Is it chemistry uh, fucked up? Well, I mean, considering that we are just a large chemical reaction, I would say that's probably a safe assumption to make. That's crazy, man. That uh, yeah, uh, people always think that thin is healthy. I mean, that's sort of our uh, you know overriding, uh, I guess, um, social. Well, ideal, I mean, right? there's thin, and then there's thin. I don't well, think people would look at him in this movie and consider him healthy. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely not healthy. Maybe for some like runway models, they're unhealthily thin. But generally, I think the idea of being thin, acceptably, is is not a not a real issue. I think there's issues with people getting eating disorders as a as a result of trying to to not pack on pounds. But I don't think that society thinks you should be <laughs> emaciated. Generally, uh huh, not like that. No, yeah. no, not like Christian Bale because his frame isn't catering to uh, that weight that he put himself at. And I don't know what he got down to. Yeah, I think like some models maybe get that thin. Yeah, but that, that's a, that's, that's a rarefied up. error, and that's just a particular job. I don't think people are really trying to stay that thin in reality. 
Well, with getting that thin for a roll, at least you go, oh, man, I can gain all this weight back. Thank God. You know, you don't have, like, a body dysmorphic or, or disorder, right? So you can just, like, hit the Krispy Kreme after the after the the wraps, you know. The, oh, yeah, that's right. We start f- filming Hustle and Flow in two months. I got to pack it on. No, was it Hustle you, you and Flow? You don't want to take, like, hustle? three years like McConaughey has to put his weight back on. I think he decided he liked being overly thin. Yeah, that's weird, man. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, he was overly know. thin in um, in Interstellar still. Oh, he was. Yeah. Well, he was overly thin in True Detective too. He's yeah. never really been fat, but he got actually. He's still like twenty pounds under his normal weight, I think. Yeah. Well, I you know anorexia and, and eating disorders are are significantly uh, significant numbers in men as well. So it's not. Well, just a, a it could just number. be that he. He really likes running or something because you can get a pretty thin Maybe. body if you do that a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know anything about that shit. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I have a uh, an elliptical machine sitting right next to me that I haven't plugged in in over a year. So, <laughs> well, it's great to hang clothes on. I know it works. Uh, it works well for storing shit on top of. I found so, and like someday I'm gonna plug it in. It's like my my guilt anchor. It just sits here and takes up space in my garage, and uh, you know, it's just the alb- albatross around my pudgy neck that says, uh, "Better get on that fucking thing someday." Um, so. I mean, there's something to be said. You got to be reminded, and uh, maybe it takes a year to be reminded. But uh, I used to like have health club memberships. I think I've had three, uh, where I have like the three month honeymoon period. Where I'm like fucking going at it, you know. That's pretty good. Long time. That's a pretty good time to keep it up. Three months, and then uh, the inconvenience sets in. You know, like um, uh, driving there. You know, oh, I got to drive there, and then I got to, you know, then I got to change, and then I got, and then I got, and then I got, and it just is all like a slow torture. It's just a routine that doesn't get me never got me excited but i would do it for about 3 months and then i would stop paying uh, or i would stop going and i would continue to pay my health club membership and i knew it i knew i was getting like $20 out of my account every month <coughs> but i continued and i called it my fat tax you know mm-hmm. it's like that's what i get i got to pay $40 for being a lazy fuck you know uh, and anyway, then I would eventually call them up and say, hey, can you cancel my gym membership? I mean, I wonder when they do the books at those places, what percentage of their paying customers don't normally show up in the billing period? Oh, they, they, they count on it. I mean, if if people who have men- memberships showed up every day, the place would fucking, like, wouldn't work. It'd just be but, I mean, but, but I wonder what those numbers are, because obviously they have to predict for it. Otherwise, they'd have too much facility. Uh, I think it's probably it would be away. shocking. I think it would be like they only count on five percent of their members showing up every day. I bet you it's something crazy like that. Yeah, it would be a daily show up five percent. Well, let's say somebody who was had a pretty reasonable. They did a they did a workout three days a week. I mean, then maybe they got some aerobics. I mean, somebody that's healthy. They did did some weight work. You know, they did a leg day and they did a body day and they did a CrossFit day or something. So, God, yeah, I mean, I just wonder who doesn't show up all month long. What percentage uh, people like me. Is it like that, 50% that, like, of their paying customers? I don't, I don't know. I remember one gym I used to go to. Um, I used to loathe January because January was all the, uh, um, what do you call them? The, 
make a New list. New Year's of, resolution. Yeah, the resolution yeah. fuckers, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it'd be full of all these, you know, pudgers, and they'd be in there just crowding the machines, and I'd just be so fucking annoyed. And then I was like, oh, God, it's got to get to February, and then I'll be gone. And they were. You know, they would all leave because they couldn't make it. <laughs> it's, it's just so, human nature is so goddamn predictable. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, I think a lot of people would not won't be thin, will can't be thin unless their food is restricted by externalities, like diabetes uh, or a health scare or something of that nature, or living in a hunter gatherer civilization. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, you know, if I was living uh, uh, like as a a bushman mm-hmm. in the Kalahari, I think I could. I could probably get whipped into shape pretty quickly. Yeah, you you know? certainly would. Nothing like walking uh, thirty miles, a hundred miles to put yeah. you get you in shape. Fucking how many miles do you walk to a day now? Uh, how far? How far <laughs> is it from the cubicle to the canteen? I don't know. I don't know. Right now, we have an ice maker that's like uh, in our like that's we have a freezer that's in the lower part of our refrigerator. You know, it's kind of flipped, and there's an ice maker in there. Mm-hmm. And I have to go down there and get ice. So I have to squat down, mm. reach in, grab ice. And well, when I stand get, get up. Get it feel- one cube at a time. Oh, my squat God. Squat cube up. Squat <laughs> cube up. My right knee, which I've had problems with uh-huh. quite a bit. Like I had an old uh, uh, skiing injury at one point there. Um, but that knee, I mean, it feels like it's going to explode. <laughs> <Just like, laughs> Does it crackle and pop? Oh, it's just fucking a mess, you know. <laughs> and like, if I was super athletic, I'd probably go in and get my uh, ACL or whatever the fuck's wrong with it. You, you know, go have them, go have them, go in there and clean it up. They just go in there and they. Yeah, I think it's just full of gunk and shit, and you know, uh, scar tissue or whatever. But uh, oh my god, I'm like, that's enough. That's my daily workout. I don't think I can do any more squats, you know. So. Anyhow, uh, anything else with this film? I, I did want to talk a little bit about how it was filmed. It was filmed in Barcelona. It's supposed to be like Los Angeles, I guess, is sort of what you what you gather from. And I thought the, they did uh, a pretty good job of making it look like that. Of course, probably not that as difficult as you might think it would be, uh, considering the Latina population that's inherent. In, yeah. And yeah. the climate is somewhat similar, at least. Yeah, right? I think it is. Yeah, it's like kind of hot and well Mediterranean, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think I, what I liked was it, it gave it enough of a surreal aura, just so <clears throat> like a slight twist on like a familiar setting. You know, something looked a little different about everything you were watching. That it kind of I, I liked it. It gave it a dreaminess that I think uh, uh, was important, at least for this film, because you are sort of in this. Not really a dream, but a nightmare of the Trevor character. So I appreciated that. I liked the uh, sterility of the airport cafe. I thought that was kind of interesting uh, that you would have, you know, it kind of had like a medical sort of look to it. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a cool set. Um, we haven't talked about, uh, what was her name? I forget. the the Marie? Marie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was uh, played by Aitana Sanchez Guillon uh, as Marie, Maria, who was the stand-in mother of the uh, the boy who he hit. And uh, 
That's interesting. Like he's trying to make amends. I didn't quite understand that fabrication. Uh, well, I mean, he's haunted by that woman who he slided through his actions, and he has a fantasy relationship with her. Well, yeah, she she serves him pie every day. I mean, it's all fantasy. He never actually reacts, <coughs> interacts with that woman in any way in reality. Well, it's interesting. He pulls out a picture from like his box of of you know nostalgia and memories, and it's one of him like at that same uh, amusement park with his mother. So he's sort of grafted a bit of his mother onto that woman a little bit. Well, you know, from, I, I mean, I'm not sure what you're getting at. That's all. It's all. It's all fantasy. He never. No, really, I know. I'm just I trying mean, to figure out where where she, where she came from or how he stitched her together. In, well, in, I mean, in you see in the flashback to the accident, you see her run towards the child in the street that he hit. So maybe he caught a glimpse of this person that he thought was the mother of the child during the accident. Well, yeah, I just I got the impression that he was. Like seeing the, I don't know, his mother was obviously the only connection that he had to sort of that empathetic, being empathetic of of the mother of that that boy or, or whatever. Maybe well, that's yeah. Just I mean, he's making he's making conclusion. up these stories in his head, and he's using what he knows. I mean, that's another part about that that the whole scene of the day out with Marie and her child. That is so fascinating because it is such a fantasy and, and it does pull together his thoughts of his own childhood to sort of f- flush out this woman who he doesn't really know. So would he, was he just wandering around that amusement park by himself? I mean, who knows? You know, that's kind of creepy. Like when you think about. Well, how about all the times he had pie and pretend he was talking to Marie at the restaurant. But in fact, the person who served him pie every day. Thought he was a mute because he never said a damn word for a whole year. That's like, that's like, well, that's definitely a Hitchcock thing. But the whole, <coughs> it's so maddening that uh, you you can't figure out, you know, what, it's not really fact. I mean, it's not based in any sort of reality. People don't, you know, suddenly come to a realization that, what they the person that they thought was a you know a certain person was wasn't at all and that they'd been living this kind of uh fiction right i mean that isn't that's, there's no I'm not sure what you i'm not sure what you're getting at there well that that like that would ever happen in any situation there's no psychosis that would explain that right that you would have uh that you would interact it, with things that were in reality apparitions yeah and then I you mean, would come to some realization that, that that person wasn't real at some point, right? That, I that mean, did, yourself. People snap well, out I mean, that, that'd be more of a schizophrenia sort of situation. That's why I thought there was a deeper mental problem. And maybe there maybe there was. And the stress brought it out in the Trevor character. I, that's sort of the feeling I like to go with. It makes the movie feel a little better well, to me. insomnia can drive you to hallucination and drive you to schizophrenia. That's actually been documented. People well, there you who, go. Uh, People who uh, have had extremely long periods of not like no sleep, not Mm -hmm. just an hour here, an hour there. You can survive on an hour here, hour there for fuck all. That's amazing how long you can survive like that. Uh, It's not any fun, but you can do it. But Mm. if you've really had absolutely not a wink of sleep for 
I think it, I think like the record, documented records, like 11 or 12 days or something like that. There was some DJ who did a stint uh, a long time ago, back in the 60s, who uh, was on air for like, I want to say 11 or 12 days. And by Mm -hmm. the end of it, he was seeing spiders crawling up his leg. (laughs) And then afterward, he was never quite right. Like people, like he sort of lost this familiarity and got really distant and lost a lot of friends. And I think his career fell apart. I mean, something psychologically was really churning inside of him and and fucked him up. Uh, But you can, yeah, you can permanently fuck yourself up by not sleeping and uh, going to psychosis. So maybe that was it. Maybe that's what happened. Uh, It reminds me of this great horror short story. Uh, I think it's called something like the Russian sleep experiment. Ew, that sounds horrible. Just, it, just, just this. That's all you need to tell me. Um, it's a yeah. It's actually, it's actually, it's a. I've re- I've read a f- fair number of uh, short st- horror stories. I think horror is really is really amenable to the short story format. It's about some uh, some experiment you know done back back in the. You know the fifties when they were cutting dogs' heads off and grafting them on the other dogs' oh, bodies. Oh fuck, stuff. man! They did, did that this, shit. But this is uh, well; those were Russians. those were important. I mean, that was an important work to you know to suss out the heart lung machine. Um, but uh, about an experiment they ran trying to keep uh, some people awake, and how it went terribly wrong. It's it's of course uh, fiction. Oh, okay. Well, what's the upshot? Uh, what's the upshot? Yeah. There's no, there's, there's no upshot. How did it end? I don't How did it end? Um, well, you have to read the short story, but oh, horribly. I didn't want to read it. Okay. It went horribly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Beyond what you would imagine. Uh, let's just say there was some vivisection involved. Oh, oh, that's never good. Involuntary vivisection. Oh. Yeah, involuntary or voluntary? Voluntary. And that see that fits my whole like Russian idea of uh, you know uh, Cold War era medicine. Because <laughs> uh, I did click on a few of those links of like the transplant head experiments. And, oh, those uh, are fascinating. With like the a dog is like it's still yep. awake and it's like yeah, I saw it. it. Yeah, that, that, that's actually some very well documented. It's pretty fascinating work. I mean, oh, those God. days is sort of you know that sort of stuff that needs to be done, uh, but it's been done. There was an X file, the X Files sequel, which uh, a lot more memorable and interesting than the first X Files. You mean the uh, second X Files movie? There's the second X Files movie. I never and saw it. it was all centered around uh, this one villain who I believe was like a continuation of the Russian head transplant experiment. So they would go out. He had like a dying body. And so they would go out and whoever his crew or his, you know, uh, posse or whatever uh, group of ghouls was keeping him alive uh, would abduct people. And then mm-hmm. they would remove their heads and put his head on it. So he always had like a different body going on. Boy, if he could control <laughs> that body, I, I wouldn't believe it. But if the body all it did was keep his head perfused with oxygenated blood, then I no, I think it like stood up and walked around. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, that's pretty fanciful. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, I shouldn't say it's all Russia. They tried it in Cleveland. There was some uh, doctor who transplanted, uh, I want to say, a monkey's head, and they documented that. 
fairly well. Mm-hmm. And fuck, man. Well, there's that, a, that, some stuff with xenographs. I mean, the whole I, I mean, that's back in the day when they didn't quite under, really understand, you know, histocompatibility issues between species. But that monkey lived for like a little bit. Like they have pictures of that shit, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously paralyzed. Obviously couldn't you know move anything. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, the fucking thing was like alive for a while. Oh my god, Ugh. gave me such chills. I hate to say it, but that X Files film stuck with me. Mm. I, I don't even know if I recommend it, but I do remember it. Did so. it happen at Christmas? Unfortunately, not. Oh. So I think it's about time we hit the review. <laughs> Ebert reviewed the the machinist on November eighteenth, two thousand four, giving it uh, a thumbs up with three stars. The review seems a little unusual to me, and I'm not sure what it is about it. But let me just read a few things out of it uh, that I thought was interesting. Uh, <clears throat> he starts off talking about uh, Christian Bale's transformation for the role that we've already talked about, and he says uh, Ebert says he was reminded of Anthony Perkins' work. In the Orson Welles film, The Trial. Have you seen that? Yes, I have, because I'm a big Kafka fan. It's actually not a bad movie. Oh. Did, uh, do you see that uh, similarity? That the not reason? really. I mean, the 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 Trial uh, book is just about a man facing absurd justice mm. and following the rules uh, to, I guess, its ultimate conclusion. Um it's hmm. just, it's. I mean, it's an absurdist work, an existential work. Hmm. Uh, this seems a lot more direct. <laughs> this isn't an absurd movie, so uh, I don't know. Hard <clears throat> for me to relate. Okay. Maybe uh, the performance, I guess. Maybe that's what he was I think about. I think that's what he's getting at. Uh, maybe just the, the, the performance similarities between Perkins and uh, Bale. Um, he goes on to talk briefly about Michael Ironside's character. He says that character Miller almost seems let up, less upset about the accident uh, that he loses his arm, and then Trevor is uh, strangely. But then Trevor has no reserve, no padding. His nerve endings seem exposed to pain and disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the stress that he's under. He just he doesn't have anything left to roll with. Well, uh, and this is uh, and this is pouring salt in an existing wound, right? I mean, that causing- he's responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Causing through distraction another maiming mm-hmm. of a human being. So yeah, it's almost too much for him to take. Uh, I just remember that great scene where Miller's coming back to get get his settlement check, and they have a little interaction. And yeah, Miller makes a joke, and uh, it just—I mean, there's no humor left in um, <clears throat> Trevor. And I get—I get feeling. I can understand. That. I get feeling that way sometimes, where humor. You're so you know worried or hand wrangling about whatever's going on in your life right there that you can't even step back, even though you know you should, and laugh at right. it. Right. Um, <clears throat> he says uh, he makes a comment about uh, Dostoevsky's uh, "The Idiot," which I haven't read. I haven't read it either. Had. Uh, he says Jennifer Jason Lee has played a lot of prostitutes in her career. Is that true? Was, I'm trying I to have, think of I'm another prostitute sure. role. Uh, he talks briefly about uh, I, the Ivan character, uh, and he quotes uh, one of his quotes when he's talking about. It's just a weird part about Ivan is he got he's got a maimed hand 
where he had yeah, right. some of his. T- and I don't. I'm not sure what the point. It's got to be some sort of symbolism. That, uh, but why would? Why would all people in a machinist shop are fucking missing fingers? I mean, that's there's got to be something more. I mean, this movie's this screenplay is too carefully wrought for that. There's a, there's a reason that um, Trevor's projection of Ivan of himself as Ivan has a maimed hand, but for the life of me, I I, I haven't been able to figure figure out why that is, and I it does it seems like know. the character would have been just as good. Without a maimed hand, why did they go through all the trouble of the prosthesis and an animated prosthesis at that? Because it's creepy as fuck. That's probably yeah. Why. I don't think that's. I think it's something there that I'm not seeing, and neither of us is seeing. But uh, he does. He does I, mention the quote that uh, he says is, "I can't shuffle cards like I used to." But then he didn't leave the next line. He says, "But the ladies like it," and he pulled, puts up his thumb oh and God. wiggles it around like he's fingering oh somebody. I thought that was a pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> he goes on to say the machinist has an ending that provides a satisfactory or at least believable explanation for the mysteries and uh, contradictions um, in the movie uh, that uh, that we talked about and something that I think worried me. And we got the fact that much of the movie is seen through Trevor's eyes. Um, but uh, Ebert says here the but the movie is not about the plot. Um. And while the conclusion explains Trevor's anguish, it does not account for it. Yeah, and we were trying to, I think earlier in the podcast, we were trying to maybe resolve that. And I think we and, did. Uh, um, yeah. It, con- it conveys a state of mind. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's not equitable to the circumstance necessarily. Uh, he says, we see Trevor's, Trevor's world so clearly through his eyes that it only gradually does it occur to us now this is now he gets start he starts waxing on poetically. It only gradually. I think it'd be nice. He said we gradually realize that we see the world through Trevor's eyes. Uh, I think right. that'd be. I think it'd be better. But he says only gradually does it occur to us that every life is seen through a filter. Uh-huh. And then he goes on for a full <laughs> paragraph where he waxes about that idea. And I, yeah, and it doesn't. I'm make not, not going to read anything from it because I read that. That's, we were sitting here reading because I don't know if our listeners realize this, but. During that musical break, we actually we don't read this before we watch. We do the review. I mean, I don't. No, I, I don't. I, I don't want to color me. I, I like to see what Ebert's thought about and compared to what we've thought about. And I, I think it's pretty interesting. And in this one here, where he deals with you know the issue of you know our narrator is Trevor, and the movie is you know colored by his his view. Well, of the it's world. just a it's just a it's a, a plot shift from the subjective to the objective. I mean, it's it's not. As if that's a it's it's a plot mechanism. It's it's used yeah, it's, extremely it's, effectively here. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's very to- effective, and it's used everywhere. But I think it's really nicely used here. But I was just thinking about this last paragraph in the review. I don't know Did you, if you read it. I don't understand. It just sounds like he's he's he was like it was like the, a Friday. I don't know what day. <laughs> he was just like I gotta get through this fucking. He was like man. he was like finishing off a joint. He's like that's oh right. yeah, and he just went for the last paragraph. Because it doesn't uh, really make a sen- it doesn't really make uh, sense to me. Anyway, well, that's, I'll leave it I, at that. Well, what I was going to say is like we mentioned that this is very, uh, very much a, a nod to Hitchcock, but I'd I'd like to also point out that it definitely has a, a Twilight Zone flavor, and uh, the whole plot shift from the subjective to the objective. Was yeah, can you explain that a little more explicitly for me? And what's that? 
And when you say the plot shift from the subjective, well, the to plot the shift from like, uh, I'm, I'm, there's a bunch of them, but like, um, I'm thinking of uh, a, f- a couple. Like, there's the famous one with a couple that wake up on the train car, and the train car is just circling around uh, on a circular train track, and they get out, and the town is all fake, and you know, you're like, what the fuck? And they hear like a little girl's laughter. And then you realize that they're they're pets in a giant's like train set, you okay. know. I mean, it's like a literal plot shift from the subjective to the objective. And there's like another one where there's these four toys on the bottom of a Toys for Tots bin on the street. Okay, but it sets out as four prisoners who are all dressed in in you know these these very characteristic outfits like a mime and a ballerina, and I forget what the other two were, like a and cowboy like, the, or something. Yeah, and they're trying to escape, and so it's like an escape tale, and it's very absurdist and surreal. And then one makes it out, and then the next frame you see is a, a doll laying in the snow, you know, next to a person ringing a bell. You know, so the, the beginning is subjective, and the and the ends objective. Yeah, because you're looking through the eyes of the characters, and, and then you're looking the at you reality see. at the end. Yeah, and the world doesn't make any sense, and that's part of the fun of the Twilight Zone episode. Mm. It's like, what's going on here? What, what's really happening? You know, there's got to be an explanation for all this. So, what? And, what? How does that? How does that work in this film? Well, you're just you're just seeing this twisted, deformed world yeah. of 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 uh, Trevor's self torture, and then I mean, it's it's analogous. I'd say it's not. And then the reveal at the all. end puts it all together for us. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. he was torturing himself think, through guilt. I, think that, and... I know what you're saying. I just don't think that's the most important part of the film. I don't think that's what Ebert's saying here. He's saying the important part of the film is the subjective part. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not weighing one versus the other. I'm just saying it's a plot mechanism. Yeah, that that was used extremely effectively here. I'm not saying any more than that. But the subjectiveness no, I mean, of it. Yeah, the subjectiveness of it is the most important part of the film, obviously. Okay, you know. Okay, I see what you mean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to make you spell it out for me, but yeah, it's getting, no, it's getting pretty just, late. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm just pointing out plot. That's no, all. no, that's good because I, I don't really, I don't really know the, you know, all those terms, and uh, you've you spent a lot more time thinking about plotting than I ever have. Yeah, maybe to uh, the detriment of uh, my writing, if people bother reading any of my stuff, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's getting late. So uh, next week, I think we're going to try to do a mini Christmas spectacular. Uh, well, maybe I wanted to do a Christmas movie. If we do two in a row, that's about that's how much time we have to do it. Then yeah, we'll do two in a I'll, row. I'll try to I'll try to kick one out. Think there's about. quite we a did. few, man. There's a real there's a lot of movies that take place if they're not really uh, Christmas subjectively movies. about Christmas. They're up. They're uh, they're if they're not if, if the Christmas theme isn't prominent, at least they're set at Christmas time. And one of the classic examples, I think, of a movie that's not about Christmas, but it's set during Christmas, is nineteen ninety seven's Lethal Weapon. Ninety seven. I mean eighty seven. No. Sorry, yeah, I was going to say eighty seven. Yeah, 90. it's like no mullets. Uh, Mel Gibson with a mullet ninety seven would have been a, a a fucking crazy. Uh, idea and i thought we should visit lethal weapon before 2015 with the uh the cumberbatch remake of the movie what no (laughs) No, i'm joking no i'm joking oh my god that would be that'd be crazy (laughs) and uh jaden jaden smith oh 
That's the fuck would play? I'm too young play, for this shit. Who <laughs> would play the Mel Gibson character? Uh, Mel that was going to be Cumberbatch. Oh, Cumberbatch would play that. Oh, okay. that's a good idea. Because they're both like, you know, I mean, he's English and well, whatever. Uh, well, uh, they're rebooting Mad Max, man. George uh, Miller, same director. Uh, yeah, my, that, that might be all right. You know, what is it called? Something Road? Fury Road. And uh, and Mel Gibson is not no longer playing Max uh, Rockatansky. It's uh, some new guy. Uh, I would hope Mel Gibson's not still playing that guy. I know. Yeah. Right. No, I do. I do really love Mel Gibson. I've I've always. Loved I do him. too. They, he, that I, crazy I, fucking alcoholic. I've always enjoyed oh his. Oh my work. god, he's brilliant. Anyway, he's a great director too. Uh, he's a. He's a, he's he's the greatest anti semite that uh, <laughs> I, ever put I, put, I, put anything to celluloid. Yeah, I, I don't think he's that hardcore of an anti semite. He just gets drunk. Sometimes. No. No, but, he's like uh, he's somebody who uh, is casually racist when they get drunk. They're not like a, they're not going to KKK meetings. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, we all love him. So anyway, uh, all right. So uh, we're gonna do Lethal Weapon, uh, and uh, until next week. Gee, thanks.